Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 149 of the podcast God Beyond the Bible, the podcast created by and for Seekers. Uh, Trayson, how about some shout-outs on this episode? Our shout-outs are to Leslie, Elisa, and James. We are so glad to have you guys listening and commenting on our group. It's great to be hearing from you guys. Okay, I'm sorry, got, I was reading was over my read, quote. Okay, <laughs> do I need to say quote, Tabby? No, this is from Johann George Heyman. It says, not only the entire ability to think rests on language, but language is also the crux of the misunderstanding of reason with itself. Yes. You have to kind of sort that yeah, out. You but, do. Yeah, but, but in light of what we're about to discuss, I understand what the meaning is there. Y'all may have to go back and listen to the quote after you hear the episode. Our discussion topic. In a January podcast, I made the statement that written words were the poorest form of communication. Let me validate what I meant. And then we, and I'm not saying doing this because somebody jumped up. Nobody has said a word about it as far as I know. Uh, But let me validate what I meant and then we'll discuss it further. When it comes to the divine, the community to the divine in communicating of spiritual things to man direct internal communication is the highest form will we agree of that yes the voice within the guiding voice that needs no interpretation or translation or needs no words for that matter we might call it spiritual communication this seems to have always been the divine's chosen method and the words of jesus in in uh, the chapters of John, uh, chapter 14 through 17, where he talks about the coming promise of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit seem to back uh, that up where he is promising the indwelling of the divine to teach us all things. What's your comment on that? I can agree with you so far. I think as someone who's finally starting to experience that direct divine communication you absolutely know instantaneously what path you should be on. And what we're really doing, of course, we're not trying to be subtle about it. We're talking about the Bible, and we're talking about the Bible being this ancient, translated, written-down word that we don't have any of the inflections or any of the things. We don't even know how they spoke it or most of the situations they spoke it in or how it was spoken or where they were. And, you know, God's got this direct avenue just to speak right to us. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, I hear people say all the time, and the, and the Lord laid on my heart, the Lord told me, no, don't you do that. Okay, what if, how could you have found that in some ancient written thing? How could you have got that? 
Very true. Very true. Yep. Because you could have, it, one place it might have been telling you to do it, and the next place it might have been telling you they don't do that. Mm-hmm. With direct communication at the highest level, and by the way, almost without exception, every person who is, and I'm talking about that highest level, right, speaking directly to us, almost just uh, telepathically. Mm-hmm. Yes. With direct communication at the highest level, and by the way, almost without exception, every person who has had a near-death experience says that all communication on the other side is strictly subliminal. It's strictly telepathic. No audible words, just direct communication. So with the direct communication to each individual at the highest level of the divine communication with humanity, one might say, as we digress downward, uh, that if direct communication fails, in other words, that's the best, the highest, it fails, then on the scale... The next on the scale would be verbal communication, right? Mm-hmm. Verbal communication would be next on the scale because it has the advantage of being in the exact place and atmosphere that the words are spoken and all the, intonal, the tonal inflections and facial expressions and body language is present to help with our interpretation of what's being communicated. Not as good as direct communication that needs no interpretation, but next down from it. What do you think? I would agree because while it is still pretty clear, you can still misinterpret, particularly if you're someone talking to someone who, say, is on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever, you know, when you're having those conversations with them, their social cues are off a lot of the time. So they might smile in the wrong place or not laugh on a joke line or little things that you often see in conversation that you don't realize you pick up. And then you've completely misinterpreted what they've said just because those social cues and things that we pick up on aren't where they should be. That's true. And I see that. But I like if I'm having a serious conversation with somebody that I want to fully understand, I like that face to face if I have to have that verbal because I feel like we have a certain amount of direct communication energy right. wise between yeah. me. But it's not the most direct communication. It's not. If, if you could actually know what that person's exactly. mind was and then you listen to their words of what they say their mind is, you right. might not get that. That's just all I'm saying. But yes, you are right. The next lower form of communication would be the written word. While we may know the writer and feel we know where uh, where he's trying to take us, this familiarity with the individual communicating what was said to us fades with time. Do you think that's a true statement? In other words, as the actual event grows farther and farther in the past, and the person who was there uh, personally to witness the event and the words spoken is no longer around to answer any questions <laughs> we may have concerning the words they chose to convey the speech or event to us, and we can't see the expressions or hear the tonal changes, some of the meaning is destined to be changed, misinterpreted, misinterpreted or lost altogether. What do you think? How many, again, I say, and I said this, I think last month when you were discussing this, how many times have you almost gotten in an argument with someone on social media or in a text message because the way that you read what they said was not the way they intended what they said to be read? Mm -hmm. I've got a person that until I learned his text method, what I would text him something and say, you know, we, uh, what do you think we could do this or that? You know, we could do it this way or do that. And his answer would just always be just the letters, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
You can read so much into that little okay. And I thought, now is he not a, is he not liking this suggestion mm-hmm. or because he just ends it with okay and no other. Yeah, is is he mad about? Not that sounds good. He don't say that sounds good or that's. Do you see how easy it is? Even just and you're communicating with somebody you know. Yeah. And then you're thinking, now is this not sitting right with that person? They just they cut me short. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I'm just giving. We're just. But it's true. There's another lower form of communication. Remember the highest form, direct communication. That's what God uses, right to our spirit. He can communicate on a spiritual level, right to our spirit. Next is some verbal communication. Mm -hmm. The next is written down, and we don't even know the person. We have no idea about any of the situation, hardly, of what's going on. And then there's still one lower than that. There's another lower form of communication, and that is an event or speech that was originally in an ancient and unfamiliar setting and language, and centuries later had to be first interpreted and then translated, and then reinterpreted by the reader in his own language and in his or her own modern age. Now we have multiple levels of human interaction and influence to factor in to the original ancient thought or speech. Setting aside the organized Christian religion's unfounded claim that there was divine intervention in that, liter- uh, that literally overpowered any human tendency to frame and uh, interpret Uh, or to frame interpreted and translated written words to fit their particular age and belief system, should should that be cause for uh, any thinking person to at least step back and investigate? I mean, look at all the layers. It's the lowest form. This is my opinion. But anyone will tell you, the lowest form of any communication is for it to be in a foreign language. Someone, Let me just ask you this. Have you ever sat and and listened to an interpreter talk over someone talking in a foreign foreign language mm-hmm. oh yeah and that guy's that guy's mouth is moving and he's <laughs> saying and the interpreter's giving you like four words yes mm-hmm. and w- it's now wait a minute <laughs> tell is you. that what that guy's really because what this guy's saying in the and 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 the expressions on that guy's face that's talking in that foreign language are not matching mm-hmm. some of this is not matching up here i agree yeah we we see that a lot in documentaries and stuff. They'll be this person is telling this passionate story about what they heard, and then there was thunder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this person said about thirty sentences. I'll tell you guys a funny one that happened to me one time because I'm, I'm a cheap kind of person. I'm, I'm frugal. We'll put it there. I'm frugal sometimes, and I happen to love Jules Verne. I'm a bit of a Vernian. Um, and Tabby's looking at me like she really doesn't. Um, he, he's a French novelist. Okay. Sci-fi adventure, mostly a lot of people know around the world in 80 days. Are you talking about Jules? Yeah, Jules, Jules Verne. Okay, I didn't yeah. know. I, okay, I was lost yeah. there. <laughs> so you, he was actually French, and yeah. he wrote his novels in French. Okay. And I don't speak French, so I can only read his translations. Um, most of them, you can really still feel the vibe of the book and follow it, even when there are a few phrases off. But this one time... I got online and I found this really cheap version for my Kindle of one of his books. But it was translated from French to German and then German to English. And it was like 85 cents. So I was so excited to have this book. You couldn't read it. You, there, it was unintelligible. You would read a sentence and have to sit and think about what it might possibly have been. And that's what this reminded me of with the ancient works. That his was only, you know, around less than 100 years old, but just being translated from one language to another to my language 
made it unintelligible and impossible to understand. And that's true. What if I were to say that my personal experience has been that an overwhelming majority of those who practice the organized Christian religion know very little about the process that resulted in this book they herald as the holy word of God, infallible and inerrant. To say that would seem to be saying that each step of the multi-level process that got the English Bible here was by an infallible and inerrant process itself. Even the church's own history of how we obtained the Bible does not support that claim. There, uh, there were religious and political ambitions that prompted the motives uh, that prompted the motive for each edit and translation. I could tell you when I was very political in fundamentalism. I could tell you all of the reasons why the Bible was divine and how God chose these specific people to carry on, you know, the biblical passages without being changed. But I'm going to be honest. It became easier to me to just sort of accept in the back of my mind that we have this magic book that God wrote and God keeps the book safe and never question the magic of where the book came from. Do not look behind the, <laughs> pay no attention it to is. the man behind the curtain. That's exactly where I got to. It just, it amazes me that we continually think that God wanted this to happen. And so it took him how many hundreds of years to get us a fully completed Bible when he could have just either written it himself or had one person while he was standing, if we want to say it was completely divine. Yeah. Well, you feel like God would have just... the end of it all right there. God would have just taken a scroll and dropped it down in front of someone. There you go. That's you, all you do, need to do know. Do you want me to tell you what some people will tell you? They'll say that the little book that was handed to John... That was the Bible that was handed divinely. Remember the book of Revelation mm -hmm. and he handed me a little book and I ate it? Yeah. Oh, my. There are people that say, well, see there, that was the Bible. Even though most of the Bible hadn't even been written. <clears throat> That's, oh, the, my. Uh, let's use an example of how increasingly undependable the written word is as it ages. That's what we're really talking about, right? Let's use the U.S. Constitution. It was, and I've talked about this before. It was written and established by a group of well-intending men. They weren't divine, but well-intending men who used their life experience to frame a document that they believe clearly stated the path they intended our nation to take. Did you know that while most of these guys were still alive, there was already a call to completely rewrite the document? And that effort was satisfied by adding the First Amendments to the Constitution. You guys might check this out for specifics. Uh, so this, this call to rewrite this whole was, was finally satisfied. We, we settled the argument by mm -hmm. amending the constitution, uh, which were designed to clear up what was already considered to be ambiguity in the document. Mm -hmm. And since then the courts have added thousands of pages of rulings meant to interpret the intent of the writers of the document. That's been how long ago? Less than 300 years? It's been just actually over, it'll be 2087 before it's been 300 years. So we're just over 200 years. But yeah, I was looking and the Constitution was signed and ratified in 1787. And in 1791, the First Amendment was added. <laughs> And it was because, and there were people, one of them, and I think it was, I can't remember, I can't remember now who it was, but one of them was calling, we need to rewrite this thing. It's outdated. It was, yes. it was five years old. <laughs> exactly. It's not clear enough. And so, most of the people who 
framed it, we're still alive. Right. Mm. First of all, let's see. Now let's use another example of, uh, to make our case. I've written down a phrase that I want one of you girls to read. Just read it. You can't drink too much. <laughs> now interpret what you think I was thinking when I wrote that phrase. Well, my first interpretation was you can't drink too much because it's bad for you. Honestly, that was where my mind went. Okay. Yeah, I went to you can't drink too much as then you really need to drink more. Oh, really? Yes, that was. So two people already have two totally yes. different. So what are the other ways this might be interpreted, no matter how ridiculous it may be? Well, you can't drink too much no matter how much you drink, Tabby. It's never going to be too much. Right. You're one of those people. Well, first of all. I was, when I was thinking that, I was talking about water, not alcohol, as most of us probably, most of the people I, I've mm-hmm. practiced this on some people, they went straight to alcohol. Mm-hmm. So you went negative, right straight to the negative. Look how easy it is. First of all, I was talking about water, not alcohol, and most <laughs> of us probably made a snap judgment about that. Uh, and I was saying it not as much of a scientific fact, because in fact, you actually can overhydrate. And you can even die from drinking too much water. But I was making a general statement that most of us are dehydrated and need to drink much more water than we currently drink. That's true, too. But now you understand where I was coming from. That makes it a whole. But do we have that luxury in any of the Bible? No, we don't. We don't have anyone that sort of breaks down and say, now, this is what I meant when I said. We just have the statement. Paul said, you can't drink too much. interesting if someone were to include someone were to include this statement i made you can't drink too much if someone were to include this statement in some form that became fundamental to a religion might we expect to see one sect that is absolutely against the consumption of alcohol even though the words were you can't drink too much yes absolutely because you just you know you don't know how much too much is so you need to just stay away from it completely that way you're not going to drink too much might we expect that another group actually engaged in the overindulgence of alcohol and even quoted my original statement, hey, man, you can't drink too much. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the old, that country song, uh, you can't have too much fun. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, uh, yeah. You know, so there, we might expect you to say, well, that's ludicrous. Nobody would interpret it that. Yeah. I've heard people say that. I've been in a party where it says, here, having a, no, I've had a, no, you can't have too much. I've had too much. No, you can't, you can't drink too much. You can't drink too much, yeah, man. See what I'm talking about? We don't know that, but we automatically assume we know mm-hmm. what the person was talking about. How likely is it that, that there would be a group who uh, interpreted my meaning precisely as it was intended? Well, I'm sure that there would be a group who got it the way you intended it. But when these groups got together, would they debate the intended meaning and each walk away sure that they had the correct interpretation? Probably. Would one of them even consider the other if they built a religion around that? And there would still be so many more sects that we haven't thought in that have thought of that have picked out different ways that this was brought, you know, mm-hmm. well, what he was truly trying to say. He was trying to make a statement about the way we drink our water and, you know, it becomes these really, you start reaching, yeah. I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Well, sure. And we'll it build, creates build, more and we'll more build, sex. build a doctrine around a phrase that we know more than just a few words in a phrase. Uh, 
you know, there may be these groups that even quote others who have written long commentaries on the topic, yep. arguing one interpretation or another. Don't you figure there'd be some, I know what he meant, and this is why he meant, because over here in another speech, he said so-and-so, mm-hmm. so now I know exactly what he meant. Right. And I might not have been, I might have been in a different state of mind when I said <laughs> that than I did, you know, at another speech. You can't drink too much. Why yeah. Alan believed that... <laughs> Let's add one more layer. What if I had made that brief statement in an ancient foreign language that is no longer spoken in its original form? And it was two or 3,000 years ago when I said it. Would there still be those who lived their lives by their particular interpretation and would defend its authenticity even to their own death or the death of those they deemed to be their adversaries? Absolutely. Because my grandmama told me mm-hmm. what that meant, and well, I'll stand by it. I even read commentaries, and they'll say, the oldest interpretations of this was by so-and-so, and and he said, and they'll read his commentary as though it's an authority because it was older. Mm -hmm. He got there first. That's back to the, isn't that back to the, uh, I think that was last week's, wasn't it, podcast? Yes. That we we tend to think that, well, if if you've got the oldest statement written about it, then it's more correct than any of the others. Exactly. I guess we figure it was closer to the source just because it was older, even though it was two or three hundred years after the fact. Now, in all honesty, which category does the Bible fit into? <laughs> it actually fits into the least dependable form of communication, right? It does. Yet we will fight to the death in order to elevate it to being equal with divinity. Mm-hmm. We want it. We say it's the only way God speaks to us. And God's saying, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened to me speaking to you directly? And I made you I made you a receiver that can receive, not only a receiver, but a transmitter that can transmit and receive to me on a wavelength, on a in an energy and wavelength that's above anything the world has. And you choose to write, to base everything you believe on something someone wrote about me thousands of years ago and has been translated and interpreted and edited. And, and that's the one you're going to choose. <laughs> hey, Alan, put the book down. I want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Alan, hey, uh, uh, we're reading the books. You're still going to read the book? Yeah. Okay. Final question with our understanding of all the potential for man to get his own fingerprint on the Bible. And the divine still has, let me see, final question. With our understanding, I was misreading that. With our understanding of all the potential for man to get his own fingerprint on the Bible, and the divine still has the ability to use the highest form of communication, that's directly from him to our own spirit, which of the methods are we expecting to utilize? Our spirit. Yes. Then why do we deem the poorest method? That is the ancient written, interpreted, and translated, and then reinterpreted. Why do we deem... And then it's reinterpreted in a familiar language to us thousands of years later after the fact. Why do we deem that the most dependable way? I think because speaking as someone who came out of kind of a more fundamentalist, I think it's because that when you really start asking these questions and seeking the answers, one, it's hard to even find the resources to start moving you forward. And two, you get frustrated, and I think sometimes it's easier to just give up and not question it and just believe what you've always been taught and, and I'm not, not think about it. And I'm not picking on anybody that's stuck on this, that the Bible is divine thing. I lived by that concept for most of my life. Yes. That this was just a particularly divine... And I'm not saying that... I'm not saying that we can't glean... I mean... I gleaned some great things from all kinds of writings. 
it may or may not been exactly what the writer the but thought it still he was brings you forward into a new place. And, and it made me, but it made me think. But to say that I read this Shakespeare and say that's divine. Right. But, you know, we, we tend to live our life as a life of externals. Well, we yeah, don't, it's all about internals know, and externals. We don't have really any internal teachings. We don't. It's kind of like I was, I read a post the other day on, on Facebook and it was about how we don't really know how to be silent. We yeah. can't just sit and be still. We're always looking for an external, whether it, no matter what it is, I just can't, something to fill the, to make noise. I cannot sit and listen to you talk because I am formulating a reply to what you just said. Mm-hmm. Are, like you trying, just are you trying to say we don't know how to be still and know that I am God? We don't. That's it. Uh, let me tell you a personal story of something that happened to me about two decades ago that at the time I didn't know it, but it actually started me on my journey of spirituality to replacing religion with spirituality. I was in one of those discussions. You remember back when we used the computer and it was the and everybody would get in these conversations. These, I guess they were threads or whatever. You'd go in a group. I don't even remember how it even worked. I can't remember how it There'd be lots of people. And at that time, uh, the big thing, of course, was just like it's homosexuality, or it was, it was, uh, uh, what's the other big one? Uh, abortion. abortion. Yeah, it was. It was a political discussion, and it was a. Polit- and one woman typed in there, and she said, "The Bible clearly says," and she stated something that she believed the Bible clearly said. And there was another guy underneath it that wrote, "Where does the Bible clearly say anything?" Oh. That offended me. I'm sure she was offended, and mm. I thought this is a, this is an antagonist. He's trying to antagonize. He's just here. He's just here, you know, scoping us out, and mm. he's trying to. The reality is that was probably the most profound statement because let's go back to how we started. Love your enemies. Do good to those that persecute you. Do good to though. Do not return evil for evil, but return good for evil. And then I can turn back, and it says, "Go over there and kill all of them. They're my enemies." And the children and the women and the cows and the goats. Now, do you see? Do you see? No. How can you clearly say God is not for anybody for killing people, for people killing people? But if you have a war, that's okay. Unless it's a war. And and God's on your side in the war. It doesn't matter what the war's over. Or if you ever know, most of us never know why we ever fight a war anyway. Right. And I know this is my 60s heritage coming out in me, but guys, we've got to step back. We, it's, we're going to have to be one way or the other, we, you know, but we, it's so nice. I think that's why people like the Bible so well. We can, we can, we can just either side. We can Be take a little whatever. from column A and column yeah, B. We can take whichever side of the position. I know people are going to get upset with me, say this, or some people are just going to reject this whole idea. Bottom line, folks, ancient, written, word, translated, interpreted, edited, reinterpreted, edited, reinterpreted is the poorest form of communication, in my opinion, because God can speak right to me. Yes. And maybe like 20 some odd years ago when you read that post and that guy planted that seed, yeah. maybe we're just planting. Even if you reject it. it right yeah. now, yeah. maybe we planted yeah. a seed. Well, with that said... As always, till next time, may God's unconditional grace, peace, and love be on in and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? 
connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.